Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel. And go ahead and jump into chapter 16. We've been continuing our study of the life of David. David, a man after God's own heart, who had his great failures. And I'm glad the Bible records his errors because we realize in reading the errors of these people in the Bible that God still was with those who were failures. He was still with those who made great mistakes. And as David repented, the Lord had mercy on him. So much mercy. When we left off with David after his great fall in sin, when he sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery with her, and committed murder, killed her husband, God in his justice allowed David to have a chastening and that he lost his first son because of this sin. And then afterwards, God told David through the prophet, Nathan, that there were gonna be violence, acts of violence in his family. Bloodshed would not leave his family. That his very wives would end up being taken publicly before him, away from him. So as we're seeing David now in the season of life, where we left off his son, his very own son, Absalom, in this huge conspiracy has taken many men with him to take over the throne of Israel, to take from his own father in a coup the throne. And as he gathered all these men with him at Hebron, they pronounced Absalom to be king over Israel. And this great group of men were gonna come to attack David. So David in his wisdom gathered those who were still loyal to him and they fled out of Jerusalem. They didn't want to bring bloodshed to the people there in the home city. So he decided to flee. And as we left off, David was gathering together some men and telling them to go and to submit themselves unto Absalom so that he can use them almost as double agents, as spies for himself. But what we're seeing now in this point of David's life is a great, great breaking. The brokenness of a king, a man who slayed giants, a man who conquered Israel, who conquered over the Philistines, is now being humbled by his own son. So let's continue now in chapter 16 of Second Samuel. It said, when David was a little past the top of the mountain, there was Ziba, 
the servant of Mephibosheth, who met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them two hundred loaves of bread, one hundred clusters of raisins, one hundred summer fruits, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, What do you mean to do with these? So Ziba said, The donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who are faint in the wilderness to drink. The king said, And where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is staying in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will restore the kingdom of my father to me. So the king said to Ziba, Here are, are all that belong to Mephibosheth is yours. And Ziba said, I humbly bow before you, that I may find favor in your sight, my lord, O king. Now in this portion, we need to give some background of what's happening here. If you recall Mephibosheth, he was a man of Jonathan's household, of Saul's household, whom David found favor on. Instead of annihilating all of the past former king, King Saul's family, he allowed Mephibosheth to eat at his very own table. You see, Mephibosheth was paralyzed. He was lame in his feet. And Mephibosheth was loyal to David. And now as King David is being forced out of his own kingdom in exile, he's going past the mountains and Mephibosheth, this lame man's servant, comes to King David and he says, look, King David, I have brought you all of these goods, these fruits, these raisins, some wine for those who are faint of heart. And I bring this to you. And David, seeing all these gifts, which I'm sure he was glad for, asks Ziba, well, where is the man who sent them? Where is Mephibosheth, the man who I let sit at my table, who I protected? the man who I cared for, where is Mephibosheth? And at this point, Ziba says that he's joined himself with Absalom. Now, a little insight on this is that here Ziba is actually lying. He's lying about Mephibosheth. And he's doing this so that he can take advantage of David while he can. He sees David, who, King David who is weak, and he wants to be able to show David, look, I'm going to give you a, a good portrayal of who I am. Perhaps maybe you'll come back and you'll remember that I was good. He will be dealt with later on. But at this point, I'm sure David felt hurt that Mephibosheth was not there because the gifts are good. But where is the personal relationship? In verse 5, Now when King David came to Bahurim, there was a man from the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera, coming from there. He came out cursing continuously as he came. And he threw stones at David and at all the servants of King David and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand 
and on his left. Also Shimei said thus when he cursed, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son. So now you are caught in your own evil because you are a bloodthirsty man. So as King David now is on his exile march out of his own kingdom because his son has betrayed him in treason, this man Shemaiah, he sees David journeying with this group of people in exile and he comes to him and begins to condemn him. He begins cursing at him continuously, throwing rocks and making a, a, a big ruckus. Now his words that he said to David, they were truth. But there was no love in them. You see, he's condemning David for being a bloodthirsty man, which David was. But he saw no mercy. He saw no room for grace in David's life. Do we do this in our lives Do we condemn others? Do we have no room for mercy in their life? What about our own? Maybe we're not allowing mercy in our own life. Maybe we're filled with condemnation. Maybe there's those voices that are telling us that we're sinners. God wants to forgive us. wants to love us. Now, there is something interesting when it comes to judgment, however, and conviction. You see, he is here judging David. And rest assured, this judgment will be met back upon Hushai. I'm sorry, Shemaiah. Right back at him later on in this account. But perhaps you've heard people say, well, don't judge me. The Bible teaches not to judge. Hey, you're judging. Don't judge me. Perhaps you've heard people say this. And it is true. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, it talks all about judge not, lest you yourself be judged. And whatever judgment you place on someone, it's going to be measured back to you. But then how do you line that up in John's gospel, chapter 7? Verse 24, where it says, judge with righteous judgment. Is there a contradiction here? No, there's not a contradiction. It's knowing how to judge. Knowing how to correct. In Galatians chapter 6, we read about the motives and the proper way to correct a brother who is sinning. And what the purpose of it is for. The purpose of correction is for restoration. So if you're rebuking someone and you have no motive of restoration, then you're giving them truth without love. See, truth without love 
is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. It would be wrong for me to stand up in front of people, to go online and teach people if I didn't love you. Next time you're thinking about teaching someone biblical truth, spiritual and character development, truth of the word, ask yourself, do I love this person? Am I trying to correct them without even loving them? Now, in verse 9, it says, Then Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord, the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What have I to do with you, you son of Zeruiah? So let him curse. Because the Lord has said to him, Curse David. Who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son, who came from my own body, seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite let him alone and let him curse, for so the Lord has ordered him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction and that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went, threw stones at him and kicked up dust. Now the king and all the people who were with him became weary so they refresh themselves there. What we see here as Shimei is condemning David, throwing rocks at him, cursing at him along the road. David here is a broken man. Instead, when his, David's men say, look, do you want us to go take this guy's head off, king? He says, no, what do I have I to do with this violence? you sons of Zeruiah. He says, maybe God sent him. Maybe God sent him to curse me. And what I see here in David is he's finally broken. He's at a point now in his life where he's submitting to the will of God, even if it means chastening, even if it means other people calling him names, condemning him, when he doesn't deserve it. He's fully submitted. And this is different from the David who was striving so hard against God to sin, who was trying to hide his sin and striving against the Lord and the Lord wasn't speaking to him. Now after this great loss of his son, when his son was at a very young age, the Lord allowed him to die as chastisement for David's sin. And this was greatly 
a tragedy for, for David as it is for anyone to lose their son. So David was broken and he repented. Before God often uses a man greatly, he greatly breaks him. Throughout the, the Bible, we read so many accounts of men who were broken into pieces before God used them. I'm reminded of Noah. Noah, for somewhere near 75 years, was building this great ark so that all the animals could come inside of it. And you think year by year, all the people watching Noah build this ark, making fun of him, shaming him for belief and devotion to God. Do you think Noah didn't spend all those years having been broken and submitting to that faith that God was going to bring the rain one day? Year by year, I believe Noah was humbled and God found grace upon him. I think of Jacob. Jacob, who his very name means uh, sneaky, this uh, heel catcher, this guy who's this conniving, manipulative man, stole his brother's birthright, pretended to even be his brother before his dad so he can get the birthright, and then ended up moving in with one of his uncles. And for 14 years, he himself was swindled and wanted to marry one of his uncle's daughters. And then the uncle gave him another daughter instead to marry. And for close to 14 years, he served for these daughters so that he can marry them. And then finally, when he went to go return home in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord appeared to Jacob and wrestled with him. And he wrestled with David, um, or sorry, with Jacob. And in this wrestling, Jacob began to, to overtake this angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said, let me go, Jacob. And he said, what is your name? And he said, my name's Jacob. And he says, your name's not gonna be Jacob anymore. It's gonna be Israel. And he touched his hip and brought it out of its socket. And from then on, Jacob walked with a limp. Israel walked with a limp. And he was broken. It said with tears, he said to the angel, angel, I'm not gonna let you go until you bless me. And God did bless him, but it was in his brokenness. Jacob would go on to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, used greatly, but God first had to break him. I think of Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his own brothers, into captivity. And for somewhere near 13 years, he was a servant, thinking, God, I, what did I do wrong? What, what am I going to do? And the Lord was with him wherever he went. For sure, that brokenness came upon him over those close to 13 years until finally the Lord prepared him and made him ready to be second in command in all of Egypt. 
to save his family from famine. Moses, there's another one. For 40 years, he lived in Egypt. And slowly but surely, he began to realize that the Egyptians were very cruel to his people, the Israelites. So in his own strength, he sought to free them. So he killed an Egyptian. And then he tried to bury the body and he got caught. So he fled into the wilderness for another 40 years. And in that total amount of time, in all those years, 40 plus 40, there Moses found brokenness. You see, he tried to, in his own strength, conquer the Egyptians. And with that, he couldn't even bury one Egyptian without getting caught. But then after 40 years in the wilderness, when the burning bush, God himself appeared before Moses, a broken man. He empowered him and said, go to Egypt and free my people. And God used Moses greatly. Jonah. He was a man who found brokenness inside of a great fish. And there, finally, after fleeing from the presence of the Lord, which is impossible to do, attempting to do so, there in that great fish, he was humbled and prayed and asked for mercy. And God took him to where he needed to be so that he can use him greatly. You see, all these men that we read about, these accounts in the Bible, they're examples to us. Perhaps you're in a season of brokenness. Allow God to become your strength in that season. Allow him to give you the power through the brokenness to teach you to fill you with whatever he wants to teach you, whatever gifts he wants to give you in that season so that he can use you greatly. Do you desire to see great things in your life? I gotta warn you, there's gonna be some breaking and it's not always the way we like it. But I promise you, that God's ways are always better than our own. David was finding this out in his own life. A man who knew that it was wrong to go against the Lord's anointed was allowing this man, Shimei, to go against the Lord's anointed himself. And as the people there refreshed themselves in verse 15, meanwhile, Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem. And Ahithophel was with him. And so it was when Hushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, that Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. So Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go? with your friend. So if you remember earlier in chapter 15, David actually sent Hushai to Absalom as a double agent of sorts, kind of like the CIA undercover because he was loyal to David. And David said, look, you go and pretend to be loyal to Absalom 
and I'm going to use you so that you can give me knowledge of what's going on in the kingdom. So in verse 18, And Hushai said to Absalom, No, but whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel choose, his I will be, and with him I will remain. Furthermore, whom should I serve? Should I not serve in the presence of his sons, as I have served in your father's presence? So will I be in your presence. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. So here, after Hushai is able to covertly infiltrate Absalom's kingdom, Ahithophel, another one of David's counselors, who betrayed David at this point, is now actually loyal to Absalom, advises Absalom, look, King David's concubines are here. Why don't you take your father's concubines, set up a tent on top of this hill in Jerusalem, and publicly have relations with them? You see, this was a great treason that was being made public. This is how evil and wicked his son was. And we do see that God is faithful to keep his word because this was exactly what God had told David would happen to him because he murdered and because he committed adultery. That his very wives would be taken and what David tried to do secretly, the Lord revealed and punished him publicly. And I'm sure more brokenness came upon David as this happened. In verse 23, it says, Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Now there is something interesting on verse 23. This man, Ahithophel, who was a counselor to King David, who had joined Absalom, betrayed David, it says that he was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. Now, when I first read this, it struck me a long time ago that Ahithophel, though he was not following after God, was given this wisdom. And I do realize that there is a worldly wisdom that exists here on this earth to maneuver, to be successful. And you could use this for the glory of God or you could use it for your own selfish ways. 
me personally, I do have this love for this verse in particular because many years ago, when I was trying to figure out what kind of occupation I would, I would chase after to be able to provide for a family one day, I was taking this class regarding uh, small circuits. And I was so desperate to find out what I was going to get involved with as a trade in my life. And I came across this verse and I realized that there was a wisdom that was like an oracle of God that some people had. And so I prayed personally, God, I'm gonna ask my professor at class today what he would advise a man like me would do in the place that I'm at. And I went in and I spoke with the professor and he encouraged me, get into HVAC. And just by faith, I felt that the spirit was leading me and I said, all right. And from then on, I got involved with HVAC. Now, over the years, I've seen God develop the maturity of the way I am led by the Spirit. Where uh, I don't always cast uh, dice in front of the Lord and say, God, show me the way and throw the dice on the floor. No, I ask God to give me wisdom and discernment. But I do find it interesting that the Lord has blessed certain people with great wisdom. So we need to be careful on how we use that and where we get it from. You see, there's a lot of good Christians and good people who can give you very wise decisions and wise choices to make. But if it's not what God has called you to, you're going to end up frustrated, spiritually unsuccessful. Perhaps in the world's eyes, yes, there might be much success. But in the eyes of the Lord, he wants you to follow after what he wills for you. Not what this world has. So it all comes back to that personal relationship where you can learn the purpose of God in your own life. Now in chapter 17, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee. And I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you when all return except the man whom you seek. All the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and the elders of Israel. So here Ahithophel and his wisdom knows that the best way to attack, to attack David is while he's fleeing, while he's on the run. You see, he knew that if David 
got to the wilderness and began to gather men to himself. That David was strong in the wilderness. Why? Because David did his best in the wilderness. He grew up all around the wilderness. He learned how to fight in the wilderness. He learned how to hide from Saul in the wilderness, how to survive. So Ahithophel in his wisdom said it's best to attack David now while he's fleeing. But then in verse five, then Absalom said, now call Hushai the archite also and let us hear what he says too. Now remember, Hushai is David's double agent. In verse six, and when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men, and they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds, like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war, and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit, or in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely, for all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Therefore, I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, like the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found, and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men who are with him there shall be not left so much as one. Moreover, if he is withdrawn into a city, then all Israel shall bring ropes to that city, and we will put it into the river until there is not one small stone found there. So Hushai, because he's loyal to David secretly, tells them, no, don't listen to Ahithophel. His advice is, it's wrong. What we should do is wait and gather all of our men. You see right now, David, if we try to attack him, he's, he's crazy and they're, they're, his valiant men, they're going to attack us. And if we attack right now with a small group of people, those else who see us getting attacked by him and losing will think that Absalom is weak and they will join themselves back to David. So let's not do that. Instead, let's gather men to ourselves. Let's wait for some time. And then when we're ready, we'll go out and meet David in the wilderness. But remember, David's a man of the wilderness. We should be men of the wilderness. So, in verse 14. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord 
had purposed to defeat the good of advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. Oh, I love this. You see, Absalom here is saying, you know what, Hushai, you're right. Let's do what you say. Because the Lord had purposed to keep David safe. The Lord had purposed to protect David. The Lord had purposed so that David would one day be the father of many, leading all the way down to the Messiah. And perhaps this attack against David was actually demonic. Perhaps as David was promised that he would be the father of the Messiah, the enemy found this out and was trying to attack David. But the Lord had purposed. He was going to bring good to David. And in verse 15, Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him are swallowed up. You see, these people, they, the undercover spies, they find out what Ahithophel said, and they're like, we got to give word back to David. Now there is a psalm that David wrote. It's Psalm 55. I love how David would often, as he was going through life, write his thoughts and his emotions, his feelings towards the Lord. When David finds out that Ahithophel was his counselor, his friend, has gone and betrayed him and gone to Absalom's kingdom, he is broken. He does complain to the Lord. In Psalm 55, verses 12, it says this, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance, We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death seize them. Let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in the dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old.
Is it working? Okay. God will hear and afflict them, even he who abides from of old, Salah. As David is betrayed by his friend, he goes from these emotions of being angry and saying, let death seize them, send them to hell. But then he fixes his eyes right after that. He says, you know what, as for me, I'm going to call upon God. And that's what we need to do. We need to leave revenge in God's hands and say, look, I'm just going to pray about it. I'm just going to pray and ask God to be my avenger, to be my savior in this situation. Remember, David was a man who knew not to go against the Lord's anointed. And here now, David won't even go against those who are attacking him. Back in 2 Samuel, at verse 17. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz, back in 2 Samuel, at verse 16, says, now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed at Enrogel, for they dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came to a man's house in Baharim, who had a well in his court. And the woman in tech took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground grain on it. And the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servant came to the woman, at the house, they said, Where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? So the woman said to them, They have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. So in this account, they have these men who are going to take this message back to King David. And some of Absalom's men see these men, so this woman, she takes them and hides them in this well. I'm reminded of Joshua. Do you remember the account of Joshua as they went to go take over Jericho? First they spied out Jericho. And then Joshua and his companion, they were seen by some of the men of Jericho. So they, so they had to hide. And they came across this woman named Rahab. And Rahab gave them shelter. She said, look, I will hide you guys and I'll keep you safe. But when you guys come here to attack Jericho, you have to remember my family and not to take them. And they said, all right, well, that's a deal. Now, the interesting thing about Rahab, the Bible says that she was actually a prostitute. She was a woman in adultery, a woman who was very sinful, 
But something happened in her life after she came across the people of God. Something that would lead into so much grace where through her and through her children actually in that line would come Jesus Christ, the Messiah. She is listed as one of those women. And we do see God's grace even working in her life as she showed grace to Joshua, hiding him from the men of Jericho. And in verse 21 of 2 Samuel, it says, Now it came to pass, after they had departed, that they came up out of the well and went and told King David, and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with him arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, none of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. And when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went to his house, to his city. Then he put his house hold in order and hanged himself and died and he was buried in his father's tomb. Here Ahithophel, this man of great wisdom, that of an oracle of God, perhaps he realized that because Absalom did not take his advice but listened to the advice of Hushai, Perhaps he realized that Absalom was now going to his own demise. That with this idea that Absalom could march in with his army and get the the glory himself and fight against his father out there in the wilderness, he realized that Absalom was foolish. And he realized that his time now was running out. Because if Absalom was going to die, then King David would surely surely not be so loving and gracious to him who has betrayed him. So he hung himself. Now the Bible doesn't glorify this moment, but it doesn't say much about his suicide. But we do see the wisdom of Ahithophel is made very foolish. Perhaps he's giving up and failing here. And we see the folly when people begin to use their ideas of success selfishly. When they begin to use the wisdom of the world for their own means. In Ahithophel's case, it led to his death, his demise. May we learn to trust the purposes of God. May we learn to trust God when he takes us out of our comfort zones, when he takes us into a season of wilderness, into a season of loneliness, into a season of what we think is exile. May we trust the purposes of God, knowing that so many times our disappointments are simply his appointments, knowing that he loves us, that he has a plan for our life. This account is not over. We're not at the end yet of David's life. So stick around, read ahead, and see what God speaks to you this week.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray and we ask, Father, that you would go before us. Lord God, as we seek to please you, as we seek to do your will, I pray and I ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom. Bless us with that gift. Discernment, Father. May we know how to use, Father, the knowledge that you give us. May we not use it selfishly. Continue to bless this ministry, Father. Prepare us for what you have. Be our savior. Be our provider, our protector. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One last song. Oh, my soul, my sing, beautiful.